Okay, so if you get your listening guides out, we'll sort of set our thoughts with this. Grace didn't come to visit. He moved in. He moved in. Christmas is the celebration of the moving in of grace incarnate. Grace moved in. He moved into our world. He moved into our lives. And he moved into our hearts. And we're going to see in this passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to see Paul wrestle through this issue of grace, and we're going to look at it in a bit of a different way. Now, if you notice what just precedes 2 Corinthians 12, you look at the last section of 2 Corinthians 11, like in that last part, like 24 and following, where... The Apostle Paul is listing out uh, all the amusement parks that he's visited and the amazing flavors of ice cream he's gotten to sample and the funnel cakes and the roller coasters and how the, the balloon animals, 40 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, from Gentiles, from in the city, in the wilderness, danger from false brothers, the toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." Doesn't sound really wonderful, does it? Chapter 12, verse 1. So it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So first he shares all his trials and troubles. And now he's going to share some of his experiences. He says, I know a man in Christ who... 14 years ago, and of course we know he's talking about himself. Whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Don't get tangled up. There's not three heavens. You know, the lower tier basement heaven, then the middle of the road average person heaven, and then the premier third penthouse heaven. That's not how that works. In the first century, they just uh, the, they looked up and they said the first heaven is where the clouds are, the second heaven is where the stars are, and the third heaven is where God is. Very simple. So don't get tangled up. So God gives him this experience, this vision. Verse 3, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. So how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, so he's being transparent here, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now let's think for a second. So Paul has experienced... These amazing things in the Lord, God has uh, just supernaturally given him visions and experiences that uh, he could easily boast of, that he could easily use, especially in the context of 2 Corinthians where he's been under attack in Corinth by false teachers who were trying to say that, that you know, Paul's not a genuine apostle and they're... they're saying that, you know, they're trying to, you know, say that they're so much better than him and so on and so forth. And so, you know, here Paul is 
confessing that he was given a thorn. Now this word translated thorn, it, it means a stake or a spike. It's not like a little thorn that you might get off of a, a bush. And also understand that when the Bible says a messenger of Satan to buffet him, that means to strike with closed fists. It's the same word translated when uh, Jesus is uh, being persecuted just before the cross and he was being struck with closed fists, buffeted. Now let's think for a second about where all this is coming from because we want to focus on verse 7. We want to focus on this thorn. We want to try to understand what's going on here before we try to make any sort of application or understanding. He says that this thorn was given to him, a messenger of Satan. So where did this come from? Well, first of all, he's letting us know right off the bat that it, this is to help him, lest I be exalted above measure, lest I be prideful, lest I be boastful. I've been given this thorn. So we know Satan's not going to give us something that's going to keep us from pride. If anything, Satan's going to give us something to make us more prideful. So where did this come from? What's the purpose of it? How can something be a messenger of Satan and a gift or useful by God at the same time? Well, simple. Just as Job was attacked by Satan, but at the same time, it was all for the sovereign purposes of God, right? Just like Jesus was attacked by Satan, but as he goes to the cross... It's all according to God's predetermined plan. So if we just think about this for a second, what we want to do is step back and realize that we don't want to try to discern too much in this because if we do, we'll get ourselves in trouble because we'll, we'll miss the fact that suffering is complex and that you can't just label suffering. You start labeling people suffering, you're going to get in trouble. And if you start labeling your own suffering, you're going to get in trouble. Suffering is a complex thing in life for uh, all of us, but especially for the believer, the child of God. So, you know, it would be easy to just look at this and then say, well, you know, and a lot of people do this. Every time there's suffering in their life or something bad happens... They just equate it to it's an attack of Satan. Well, that's a mistake, clearly. Right? But people do that. That's why you got to be careful. You don't want to do that. Because maybe it's a gift from God. Now, let's focus on what we can know. Okay? So here's the first thing we can know. If he didn't plan to use it, he wouldn't allow it. That's what we know. Because Scripture tells us enough to be able to figure this out. See, we know that God is sovereign. And we know that everything that comes into our lives has to pass through the, the hand of God. Now, at the same time, we also know that the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that all things will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So here's what that means. That means that it's God's responsibility to figure out how He's going to use things in our lives. Right? He's the one that figures that out, not us. Now, you really need to listen to what I just said because I mean, if you're here this morning and you're suffering right now, then you know that your thoughts have been consumed, maybe not all the time, but at times we get consumed with, you know, why is this happening to me? And we start, we, we want to, you know, figure all these things out. And I just want you to know, according to Scripture, it's God's 
responsibility. It's God and His authority. God's the one that figures out how He's going to use things. Here's what He tells us. He's going to use it for good. So here's what we know. It's going to be used for good. Does he, do we know how it's going to be used for good? No, we don't. Maybe we will at the end of it. Maybe we will at some point in it. But as we're moving into it, certainly not before it and not in the beginning of it, we don't know. We don't know. And so we need to remember this. See, when we look here at the suffering of Paul, we, we know that, that this is not the result of some sin in his life. Now, it could be. Some suffering is in some people's lives, but this is not. This isn't because of some sin, but it's because God has a greater purpose for Paul. And that's what we're going to see this morning. All Paul knows is the same thing we know when we suffer. Paul knows that he doesn't like it. He knows that. He knows that he wishes God would take it away. See, in verse 8, he says, concerning this thing, the stake, the thorn, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So he doesn't want it. Now, you know, I'm not going to spend more than 10 seconds talking about what the thorn is because I get so frustrated with that conversation. So frustrated. So please, let's do, let's do ourselves and everyone else a favor. Let's, let's just cease all conversations about what the thorn is. Because you don't know. And do you know why you don't know? Because God doesn't want you to know. So let's don't talk about things that God doesn't want us to know. And furthermore, can we all say this morning, thanks be to God that we don't know so that we can put ourselves into this situation and learn from it? So he pleads with God three times and God says no. Now, I want you to know that understanding what we're going to talk about this morning and understanding the, this principle of, of suffering and how God uses it in the season of grace, uh, it, that it's always God's will for us to pray. You understand that? It's always God's will for us to pray. And it's always God's will for Him to answer. Those two things are always present. So you see, we don't, we don't not pray. See, sometimes I think we're seeking understanding. And then if we gain, if, if we think we've figured something out, then we don't need to pray about it because we figured it out, which is just completely wrong. We should always pray. And we should always pray knowing that God always answers. It's just not always the way we think or the way we would expect or the way that we might want. See, God's saying to Paul in this praying and, and God's answering, he's saying, Paul, I have something better for you. Something better for you than taking this thorn away. He could take it away. Well, sure he could. He could take it away in a second. But it's there for a reason. And the reason is, is that it's, it's for Paul's good. There's something more valuable than the removal of this thorn. And it's the same thing in our lives. There's something more valuable than the removal of the thorn. And it's the same thing in Paul's life as it is in my life and your life. And do you know what that is? It's transformation. It's always God's work is transforming. That's His work. And so... Listen, think about this. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? We're not talking about me, you, Paul. We're talking about Jesus. God is in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
in agony under the weight of what's ahead of him. This this sovereign, all-knowing God who has not only done all these miracles, but has, has read everyone's mind he's come in contact with. It's like there's nothing that he doesn't know. And there he is in agony praying to the Father, praying to God. Three times he's praying, God, take this cup from me. God, take this cup from me. Right? And then the soldiers come to arrest him. Peter, the one who's always exhibiting uh, high levels of self-control, takes his sword out and chops a man's ear off. Which has to be where someone got the idea to make Mr. Potato Head because he pick up the ear and Jesus sticks the thing back on. And now, now I, th- this isn't in my notes, but I want you to think about something. Supposing you're one of these soldiers. You got your weapons. You got a, Jesus sticks the guy's ear on. I'm like, I'm out, bro. I, I ain't arrest. I mean, wh- what are we doing? We're going to arrest somebody who can stick an ear back on? Man. I mean, somebody wasn't paying attention. So Jesus has been praying in agony. Peter slices the man's ear off. And look at what the Bible says in John 18. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? In other words, what I'm saying is you see how Jesus was just praying Multiple times for God to take this from him, take this from him. And then, look, he's come to resolution. He's come to his, his, his heart and his mind and has come full transformation to this point. Jesus has now accepted what's going on. You see? So you don't not pray. You pray. And you, and you tell God what you want to tell him. Because here's the thing. Think about this now. If when you're suffering, I mean, I'm not saying anybody in the room's ever done this. I'm just saying it, it could potentially happen. You're suffering, and then you go to God, and you start talking to God, and you want to seem spiritual to God. And so really all you want is this thorn to get out of your, your life, and, but you, you want to seem spiritual to God. And so you're saying, God, whatever your will is, that's just dumb. God knows your heart. You can't lie to God. Just tell him what's on your heart. It's okay. Say, God, I hate this. I don't like this. I want you to take this. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't try to sound spiritual. You see, God's grace, this is what it shows us, fills the gap between our pain and his promises. See, this this is the whole thing. Jesus, it's the same thing for him. In the garden, he's fully aware of the promise. He's fully aware of the plan that's ahead of him, right? He understands all that, but there's pain in the moment. And so he's praying to the Father about the pain. And so when me and you are, are, in, are suffering and we're in pain and we're struggling and we have a thorn in our life and we want this thorn to be gone. Now, we know there's promises, but between where we are and those promises is this thorn, is all this, this unknown, is all this, I've said this so many times. That when it comes to suffering, we're wired in such a way that we can endure anything so long as we know when it's going to end. Isn't that strange? It doesn't matter how bad it is. If we know when the end is coming, we can, we can get there. But when we don't know, that's what really gets us. And so what grace does is it fills the gap between our pain 
and God's promises. Now watch how it works. Verse 9. So Jesus says to Paul, by the way, you know this is the only place that Paul quotes Jesus this way? It's the only place. It seems shocking that here and only here this happens. So Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now watch how this fills in. So grace, we could, we, could, we could define grace this way. We could say, yes, it's unmerited favor. Yes, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. But it's proof that God always wants more for us than we want for ourselves. This is what grace is. Now, it's interesting that here's Paul's suffering. Now, think about this. You have this thorn in your side, and you're suffering. I mean, this is a stake. Some of you, I mean, most of us in the room can relate to a time. Some of us may be in that time, and this, there's a stake in our side. And in this moment of of struggling and seeking God to help us, God's response to Paul for our benefit, this is all for our edification, is my grace. Remember, grace is what's bridging this gap. My grace is sufficient. Because here's the thing. That doesn't, it doesn't feel like grace the way we normally think of grace. But to God, he's saying, this is grace. See, we got to expand our understanding of what grace is. According to God, in the midst of our suffering, grace is sufficient. Grace is sufficient. It's proof positive that God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. So, so God is doing multiple things simultaneously in Paul's life, just like he's doing that in your life and my life. So what are they? Well, a few things we know for sure. First of all, he's, he's preparing Paul. See, grace, this suffering, this thorn, this whole scenario, it's preparing and it's providing all at the same time. It's preparing. Now, how is it preparing? Well, this, the, the Bible says at the end of verse 7, for example, that this thorn in the flesh that was given to him, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest I be exalted above measure. In other words, that it is preparing him. It is preventing something in his life, right? That he would exalt himself. So what does the Bible tell us in James chapter 4, verse 6? That God... Resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. Isn't that what the Bible says? He's just quoting, James is simply quoting Proverbs 3.34. So, lest I be exalted above measure. In other words, that I would be humble and not proud. It's preparing me because God uses humility. He uses humble people. Humble servants are who God seeks out to use. And so, we, when we're before we can be used, we have to be humbled. Right? Okay. So there's this preparing. See, remember now, if God wants more for us than we want for ourselves, then think about Psalm 138, for example, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. You see? So what pride does is pride... Pride pushes us away from God's purpose in our life. Pride shields us. Pride, now God doesn't, God doesn't just say, well, you're prideful. I'm just going to leave you alone. No. See, some of us in the room, we're super hard-headed. We've tried that move before. Yeah, this is what I always tell people. I know all about that. 
You know what God did in my life when I tried that move? He just put another stake in. Yeah, then it was thorns. And, and, and he'll just keep on until I look like a cactus. Yeah. Because he's preparing us. So the first thing you got to ask yourself this morning is, is, well, what's God preparing you for? What is he preparing you for? I, I would be uh, a little bit uh, concerned if everything is always going good for me all the time. That would concern me. That would concern me as a believer. Now, that doesn't make any sense in our context. But I'm telling you, it's an evidence that God is preparing. Now, the second thing God's doing is He's, as He's preparing, these are simultaneously, it's not one followed by the other. At the same time He prepares us, what does He do? He provides. He provides for us. See, God is, this is the whole point of my grace is sufficient My power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm preparing and providing at the same exact time, which is such a good, that's some kind of good news right there. See, so what God's doing is he's supplying the power that Paul needs to accomplish what God's called him to do as he's preparing him. See, and what is the power? The power is grace. Grace is unmerited favor. But, here, but, but if you say, okay, so that's what it is, but that doesn't tell you what, what does grace do. Not what is it. What does it do? How does grace function? Here's what you need to understand about grace. You can't do anything spiritually profitable apart from grace. Nothing. You can do nothing spiritually profitable apart from grace. Let me, let me show you some things. Let's look in uh, Romans chapter 12. Here's how the Bible would say now. So we being many are one body in Christ, all individual members of one another, having then gifts. So we've all been gifted to function in the body. But how are these gifts? They're differing according to the grace that has been given us. See, it's the grace of God that gifts us that enables us so whatever you are whatever your spiritual gifts are in in order for you to use them do anything within the context of them it requires grace see they're given to you by grace they're powered by grace they have you can't you can't remove grace if you remove grace you remove all gifting all ability all you can't do anything spiritually profitable apart from grace Think about what advice would Paul give young Timothy before Paul uh, goes to his death and as he leaves his little, his protege, his son in Christ, uh, the young pastor. Here's what he tells him, 2 Timothy 2. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's his gift to Timothy. Be strong. So when we celebrate Christmas, it's more than just salvation has come. It's more than just Christ has come to save us. It's more than that. It is that, but it's that and more. This is the verse that got me all tangled up months ago that started this whole thing about the season of grace in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared. There's Christmas. Got that? Bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You see? Providing what we need to do what God calls us to do. You see, God doesn't just show up and say, I'm here. Here's your, here's your marching orders. I'm here. Here are the things you need to do. God shows up and says, I'm here. Now, here's the power, the provision, 
grace to do what I'm calling you to do. See, if you think about it this way, you think about prior to the arrival of Christ, humanity was unable to function as it was created to function. So all of that, all of that tension was all wound up, not only just in creation, not only was creation groaning, but every human was groaning because they, there was no, they could never find peace. They could never find satisfaction. They could never find fulfillment. We could never find, and so no matter how hard we tried or how much striving we did, we were always just running around and always, you know, clamoring and reaching and never able to grasp. But here's the thing. When, when Jesus comes, not only does he bring salvation, but he also brings now this power, this grace that enables us to be able to, to, to walk in the Spirit, to, to, accomp, to do things that God made us to do. Like, haven't you, don't you, don't you realize that, that every time in your life that you've just felt great joy and satisfaction in what God's enabled you to do, you realize God, when, when you use your giftedness, you, you function the way you were made to function. You can't do that apart from grace. Grace is what enables me and you to do that. You see, we can't function as a, as a body without grace. Grace gifts us and then provides the 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 power, the energy we need to be able to do that, to do that. So if you're, if, if you, if, if you know how God's gifted you, then you need to know that you need to access grace in order to, order to utilize that. If you don't know, you need to find out. I mean, that's your responsibility. The Bible says every single Christian has been gifted. And, and why? Because, listen, here's the thing. God God has bigger plans for you than you have for you. I don't, I mean, this isn't something you, you have to do. This is something you ought to be super excited that you get to do. He has bigger plans for you. So God's working in, in us. It's, it's, not, it's not his divine response to us acting. But it's the divine cause of our acting in Christ, our operating in Christ. You see, it's the cause of it. Every time we do something good, grace caused that. Grace empowered that. Every time you love somebody in the name of Christ, if you serve somebody, every time you put other people before yourself. Grace enabled that. It caused that. It empowered that to be able to happen. And so Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now let's think about this for a second. I want you to understand that this is not the elimination of weakness. That's not what is going on here. That's not what God wants us to understand. In other words, my strength is made perfect in weakness, and so somehow I'm going to apply this and obey this, and then weakness is going to go away in my life, and I'm going to be able to live in, in perfect strength. No. This isn't the elimination of weakness. This is the illumination of weakness. That's what's going on here. See, the grace of God is not fully seen until weakness is fully experienced. Being able to uh, grasp onto, to uh, own our weakness is not something that we do and then put behind us. We're weak. 
We're always going to be weak. There's never going to be a moment in this life that we're not weak. And what the Bible's telling us to do is to cling on to that, to hold it, to embrace it, not to try to get rid of it, to do the opposite of what might seem natural. We want to experience. See, notice what he says in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And listen, this isn't for when I'm weak, then I'm once and for all strong. This is ongoing. This is, this is daily, moment by moment, hour by hour. As I'm continually weak, I'm continually made strong. That's the way we need to understand it. So what's the, what are the thorns that you've experienced? What are the thorns that you're experiencing now? And what we want to do is we want to start thinking about, well, God, what are you preparing me for? I think that's the wrong step. It's not, God, what are you preparing me for? It's, God, thank you for preparing me. We'll know what it's for when we get to it. We always, always, I mean, the, the Western culture has bred us to put the cart before the horse in almost every spiritual situation. It's a mistake. When, listen, when the thorn comes, if, if, you, if you're acting like you don't want the thorn to leave, you're being dishonest. If you're acting like the thorn doesn't hurt, then it's not a thorn or you're insane or something's wrong. Something's wrong. It's supposed to hurt. I don't want it to hurt. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want to hurt. That makes me insane. See, I don't want to hurt. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want anyone to hurt, but I know we will. And what do I know when we hurt? What do I know when we suffer? What do I know? God has promised some things. And what I need to do is fill the gap in between my pain and those promises. I need to figure out how do I get from here to there. And here's the thing. I don't know how. I may, I may not get to there until the end of this life. But that's still the promise, right? But so from where I am to wherever it ends, how do I, how do I traverse this unknown gap? Grace. What do I know? God is preparing me for something. I don't know what it is. He's preparing me for something. He's preparing you for something. So, but I, I, can, I can tell you this. You can, you can start rooting around. You can start uh, asking questions. According to the Bible, are there things in my life that are preventing me from being usable by God? That'd be the first place to start. God's preparing me. Well, if God's preparing to use me, we already know from Scripture that God uses humble people. So am I humble? Am I humble? In Christ, weakness is never wasted. It's never wasted. Never. You see, that's the thing for, for, for Christians to understand. Weakness should be a way of life. And yet, what are we doing? Most of us are desperately trying to be sufficient on our own. 
We're, we're desperately trying. We're, we're, and, and here's the thing. We, we resent our limitations, our shortcomings. I'm not talking about our, our failures. I'm talking about our, our limitations. I'm talking about our... See, here's what happens. We, we resent those things. We, we try to resist weakness. And then when you bring that mindset into the Christian life, that idea that we believe that comfort is a right, that Christ should never take away from us. Think about it. This is, this is why it's so tempting or convenient to just blame all of our suffering on Satan. It's wrong. That's unbiblical. We just blame it all on Satan. Because what we want to do is we want to believe that in Christ we shouldn't suffer. And that God doesn't want us to suffer. You think God didn't want Paul to suffer? See, God wanted something bigger in Paul's life. And whatever it took to get him there, God's willing to do. It's the same for me and you. We can't come into the Christian life with this pagan sense of entitlement. That's what it is. This, this suffering, this, that Satan's on me. And that it, it, it doesn't belong because... Christ wants me to be happy. He wants me to be free of suffering. I'll do anything to escape weakness. But you see, to do that is to deny reality. Let's just, I mean, think about it. Are you here this morning in a posture where you would say, I'm not weak. You're not? Weakness isn't real in your life. Beyond all of our masks, every single one of us is weak. Every single one of us has areas of our life where we're less weak and where we're more weak, right? Yeah. And some of that has been created by genetics. Some of that has been created by life experiences. Some of that has been created by... See, this is the problem that we're, we're going to get into in the next section of 1 Corinthians is this, this issue. They misunderstood grace, and so you know what they started doing? They started getting jealous of one another's giftedness. You see how wrong that is? And so what it is, is you see somebody who has this gift, and you, and you look at that, and you think, well, I want to be like that. But if God didn't gift you to be that way, you can't be like that. But the bigger issue is, is that God created you to be something better. You. You. He gifted you. He wants to use you the way he made you, where he put you. We can't come into this relationship with this entitlement mentality and act like we're not weak when the truth is we are. All of us have areas of our life where we're weak. I mean, listen, there's just a lot of things I stink at. I'm just not good at it. I wish I was. Now understand something. When, I, when there's an area of my life that, that I'm... Not good at This is what I do, and I believe this is biblical. I try to fix it. I try to get better at it. I do everything in my power to get more proficient, but when, I, when at the end of the line, when I've tried and tried and tried and I can't get any better, then I know uh, then that I'm not supposed to be better at that. That's not how God made me. I want to accept God's design for my life. I want you to accept God's design for your life. 
Now, how do we know when we've done it? And how do we know when we don't? Sorry in advance. Stop complaining about it. You see, the complaining about it is evidence that we're resistant to what God's design is, what God's plan is. No, we don't complain about it. Listen, if God has ordained it, however it works out. See, there are things that, but there's a lot of things in my life and a lot of things in your life where originally we thought, well, I'm terrible at that. That's just how God made me. And then we found out that's not true. Right? The, the, the kid who took a zero in every single class, every single class, every teacher I ever had who said, you're going to write a paper, do this, do this, stand up before the class and read it out loud, I'll take a zero. Right here. Not doing it. Not happening. It's not happening. I'm not doing that. There's no way. I know what's going to happen. My face is going to turn red as a tomato. I'm going to begin to boil over. My body's going to get so hot it'll be like the surface of the sun. And no words are going to come out of my mouth. I'm not doing it. Oh, so when God saves me, I don't come into this relationship going, well, hey, first of all, I didn't come in this relationship, you know, walking with God thinking, well, God, would you please take, I mean, no, I'm like, that's just the way I am. I'm fine with it. I'm good with it. And so when I started moving towards God and saying, God, uh, how do you want me to serve you? What do you want me to do? I, I knew one thing. I knew that I loved children and children loved me. That's all I knew. So I'm like, I'll work with kids. That's what I'll do. I'll be happy. It'll be fine. It'll be wonderful. I didn't know God had a different plan. And then God brought his plan about. And how did he get me from where I was to where he wanted me to be? Thorns. That's how. But listen, he never told me when I was in the thorn season, here's what I'm doing. Because if he would have said, Tony, the reason this thorn is here and I'm not taking it away is because I'm going to make you a pastor. I would have just jumped off a bridge. I'm just being honest. That's what I would have done. He didn't tell me that. He used the thorn to draw me closer to him, to begin to operate in grace because I didn't have any choice because I was suffering. And then he began to, you see, he was providing as he was pruning, as he was changing, as that giftedness was in me, but I didn't know that. And so that's why you can't just have this defeatist attitude and just say, well, I'm just not good at that. Listen, don't say that. Have you explored that? How do you know that? I just got tickled in my spirit because I, I was reminded of the decade and a half that Chuck told me he couldn't teach. I'm not a teacher, Tony. I'm not a teacher. I can't teach. It's not my gift. It's not my gift. You see, you got to explore it. But the thing is, is that we can't all do everything because why? Because we're all weak. We all have areas of weakness. Embrace that weakness. God ordained it. We can remind each other that it's in our weakness that we realize His strength. We can pray for each other when we're hurting. And we can pray. Listen, we can pray. God, take it away. That's okay. But if He doesn't, 
That's okay too. We're not going to be insincere in our, in our, in our hope, but we're going to be, our life is going to be grounded by trust and our expectation. I want to accept God's design for my life. I want to do life. I want to be on pilgrimage with a group of people that do the same. That we recognize we're all limited and broken and weak in certain areas. And that in that, God can allow the gospel to shine through those broken places. And that in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. So nothing that we go through is wasted. When it brings us to living from Christ and His power. You see? So, so what am I saying? I'm just, I'm simply saying this this morning. That I'm not going to put a label on your suffering. You shouldn't put a label on your suffering and you certainly shouldn't put a label on anybody else's suffering. Stick with what we know. What we know. We know that suffering is, is painful. We don't like it. It hurts. It's hard. Sometimes when we suffer, one of the hardest things in suffering is just to be, to, to be who you are. Like, we, you know, when people, when we suffer severely, sometimes we, we find it even difficult to love the people that we are we love the most to express that because we're hurting so bad. It's real. And it hurts. But here's what we know. We know that God, God won't allow anything He won't use. And so though we don't know the duration of it and we don't know what God ultimately wants to do with it, it's just the fact that He will use it. Let's just be open this morning. God, here's how I really feel about suffering. Will you use it? Will you use it in my life for your glory? I'm open to that, Lord. I'm open to that. Even if, even if someday, I realize that you actually made me to do the one thing that most scares me. Because grace is that powerful. So if you're here this morning, if you're not dead, God's not done. It's not over. I'm still exploring my weaknesses and I'm still understanding my design and I'm still, I'm still walking in this process of God molding and shaping and using. And for that I'm so grateful. So what a time of year it is. The God who came and brought us salvation, but who also came and brought us power to live in what salvation created in us. See, He didn't just come to visit. Thank God Jesus moved in. He moved in. Let's stand and bow our heads. Lord, we're so grateful this morning.